Greetings, Unstoppable Yes You podcast listeners. I'm your host, Carlis Phillip, bringing you a brand new series, Caribbean Women in Tech. As a woman in technology for over 15 years, I've been asked a lot of questions over the years about my job and the industry I work in. So I decided to reach out to my Caribbean sisters who are doing their thing in tech to provide some insights for those of you that are interested in identifying pathways to careers in tech. Today, I'm speaking with Stacy Johnson. Stacy is the Director of Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging at Rarick Pacific Company. Rarick was founded in 1913 and is the industry leader in pallets, waste, and recycling containers and supply chain solutions. As the daughter of Trinidadian immigrants, determination and giving it your all was instilled in her at a young age. And it's that tenacity that has allowed Stacy to thrive. Welcome, Stacy. Hi, Curlis. Thank you. So, some backstory. I actually met Stacy through one of my mentors turned big brother, Mark Scott. So, Mark, shout out to you. And he's really been my cheerleader and professional support system for most of my career. And so, when I shared with him the Unstoppable Yes You initiative, he said, there's a Caribbean sister I would love to connect you with. And he did just that. So that's how Stacy and I got connected. Stacy, can you tell us what you do as a diversity, inclusion, and belonging director? Like, take us um, briefly through your day-to-day responsibilities. Sure. So the role is a new role to the organization. So I'd like to give you a little bit of, like, context. Um, I've been with Rarig for 20 years. Um, mostly on our sales side in a role in customer service and um, also wore kind of a hybrid role hat of doing some inside sales, some account management, multiple hats. But what I felt, it wasn't clearly defined, a lot of gray area. And I had reached a point in my career where I wanted something more and I wasn't sure what that next was. So for me, um, an opportunity came up within our human capital department, which is a newer department to the organization. It's about six years old. And um, when I saw the posting, I initially thought, you know what, I may not even be a candidate. I, I don't know anything about human capital or anything in that HR space. But talking with the SVP of the group, And finding out more about what she was looking for, what was more important is not the HR or lack thereof background, but more about, do you really understand Rarig Pacific, the organization, how we work, who we are, and not just the work piece, but how we get the work done, right? The behaviors and the manners in which the way we work with one another the people aspect. And I'm like, okay, this is the space I want to be in because I felt, yes, I love the company. I love the work that I did, but it was gray, which right caused me to sometimes not be recognized. My successes weren't really first visible or even rewarded. It was on no one's radar. And I saw an opportunity to change others' experience, because I know if it was happening to me, it's happening to other people in the company. So that's kind of where my journey to this role began, and that was three years ago. Fast forward, 
the events of last summer with George Floyd's murder and a lot of the things um, and social justice awareness, that level of awareness being raised um, in the world, you know, our executive leadership team went on their own diversity and inclusion journey. Um, journey. And when I say DNI, not so much from the metric standpoint of, okay, we're going to hire more people of color, we're going to hire more people from underrepresented groups, but more about how do we increase every that sense of belonging for our family members, right? Because one of our values is family and everyone's a part of the Rarick Pacific family. And our you know, owner and president sensed if there are Black people in the world who don't feel like they belong, there's possibly a chance that that's happening in my organization. And though I can't impact the world, I can at least make a difference here in our organization. And so he decided um, as the exec, as you know, the owner of the company that his leadership team was going to go on a DNI journey. In turn, fast forward, um, I'd say last fall, when my boss, the SVP of Human Capital, was putting together her strategic plan, I saw an opportunity if our one of our areas of focus going forward as a department, our number one strategic goal was going to be around diversity, inclusion, and belonging, which we kind of called DIB, that's the work I wanted to do. And so I saw my opportunity to write a role description with what I thought the work would look like to kind of help us meet that goal of increasing everyone's sense of belonging. And I um, shared it with my boss who shared it with the owner and fast track now I'm in this role. So it's a new role with for the organization um, to do work that's never been done before. Well, congratulations to you for stepping up, recognizing that you, you know, you didn't have something that you could really sink your teeth in and that you own and stepping up and saying, you know, I want to um, identify something where I can really make a um, tangible contribution. Not that the other things weren't, but, you know, in a more meaningful way to you, like personally. I mean, I can definitely resonate with that. Yeah. And and I would say it's a passion I didn't know was there before. Right. yeah. So take us back a little bit earlier. So what did you study in college? Okay. <laughs> um, so my undergrad is in business with an emphasis in marketing. Mm-hmm. And then I have my master's degree in public policy and administration. Got it. So when I think back and reflect, right, um, on that journey, right, I knew I wanted to do something in the business space. Um, But I also, the reason why I got an MPA instead of an MBA, when I looked at the curriculum for the MBA, I felt like it was definitely like undergrad again, whereas I felt the MBA, because you're dealing mostly with being a leader for either a government entity or a nonprofit, there's an element of that people focus or aspect, um, that humanity aspect that interests me, that seemed more appealing to me to get a, a graduate degree in. And I was more interested in that. And wow, when I think about it is that's actually the work I'm doing now, right? Because the work I'm doing is for the invisible, the people without the voice. And so I may, I may not be doing it for a government, government agency or a nonprofit. I'm doing it for a profit organization. Um, and so I'm still 
you know, doing something that maybe there was a passion there. I just didn't know it was this, right? I didn't know exactly what it looked like. And timing is everything, right? Um, exactly. It maybe took those events of um, 2020 to really sort of ignite that or reignite that um, that passion in you. So what do you enjoy most about your current role now that you've been in it for, is it about nine months now? I would say more like six months oh, officially. Six months. For okay. me right now is every day is different. To me, it's the awareness building. And when I'm talking to someone, let's say I'm talking to a white male in the organization and I see them have their aha moment around one, they had no idea, they they didn't understand this or what it meant. And seeing that level of comfort and the trust they create with me and now feeling comfortable coming to me to say, hey, Stacy, I don't get this. Stacey, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with this. Help me understand. That takes a lot of courage. And to know that I'm able to get some people to at least be open to the conversation, that's a win in my book. And then if it is, I'm dealing with a person of color or a woman or someone, anytime I'm hearing someone saying, wow, you inspire me. You help me to think, dream bigger, right? And for me, that's what my, you know, my boss did, right? Because I would have never thought to dream this big to do this. And now I, I see I had a little bit of limited thinking in what I'd, you know, be able to do. I, I kind of was boxing myself in maybe to a certain degree and didn't know it. So anything I can do to inspire someone else, um, you know, to think a little bit differently, then I'm definitely um feeling like I'm doing work that I was destined to do. So, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, having someone look at you and say, you know, wow, it's kind of good to see someone that looks like me, right, um, in those roles. So when it comes to women of color, Afro-Caribbeans and other underrepresented minorities, we, we continue to hear that it's a pipeline issue. But I, I believe it's time that we put that pipeline myth to rest. Um, so what can companies do to bring about real change? Right. Um, what I think, and that's kind of where we're at in our journey now. Where are you looking? Right. And if you are choosing, are you looking at the historical black colleges and universities? Are we looking at maybe some of the not as popular even if it's if it's not a four year, if it's a community college, are we looking at community colleges in different communities? Right. Are we going where the people are that we're wanting to now attract? And then also when we get there, what's our strategy around making it appealing for them? It's a two way street. Right. We can go and try to recruit um, underrepresented groups, but they have to see, OK, if I select this organization, I'm going to be signing up and joining a company that is going to care about my growth is going to grow about, care about my development and my potential. People are going to want to go and work where they feel they're going to have the most opportunity to be successful. So when we're creating our recruiting strategy, are we addressing that? Are we making sure that we are making our organization appealing for those who may not see themselves sitting in all these different levels, but they aspire to do so, right? And then if we 
choose to continue going and fishing in the same ponds as we have in the past, right? Are we getting creative about it? You could still go to those traditional colleges and universities, but for example, in, in our case, there are women engineering societies at all these schools. There's the National Engineering Society of Black Engineers, right, at these different universities. And so are we, instead of going to the regular career fair once a year, are there different specific um, organizations at the schools that um, source of support for some of these underrepresented groups? And can we make connections and relationships with those organizations? That makes perfect sense. And those are conversations that among my peers we've talked about in regard to the companies that they work in as well. So it takes me to my next question. So we've addressed the recruiting. So now that you, you know, you've recruited, you know, your um, minorities, you've brought them in. And when I, and, and let's kind of maybe focus more on like women for the, for the sake of this conversation. How can, how can tech companies level the playing field for the, young um, black women that they recruit, right, to accelerate their career path in tech? Because, for example, you said you were at your company for, you've been there for 20 years. Um, your path could have been faster, right, if there was maybe some formal programs in place. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like minority-based formal programs, but just in general formal programs for um, folks that don't fit sort of that good old boys network, if you will. Exactly. Yeah. So a lot of the obstacles and roadblocks that under, you know, that black women face or there are systemic structures in place in a lot of organizations. Right. And so some of the statistics or some of the things I've read um, in coming up with our strategy on how to mitigate this are, you know, are we teaching about some of the different microaggressions that happen in the workplace, right? So if you have a young, if you have a Black female um, presenting, right, and she's the only one in the room, right, is she really, is her voice really being heard? Is, are, you know, and that's the awareness that has to happen. People have to be able to recognize, oh, her message is not being received, it's being dismissed or they're wanting to talk more about her steps to ensure that whatever the message is, it's, it's credible, is it valid? But we don't ask that when a white man, you know, a white male is presenting the same information. So why is that, right? So now her message isn't even being heard because the focus is on her proving that her message is valid or accurate. Also, right, what are we, when we're considering promotional opportunities, are Black women visible? Are we inviting them to the table? And one of the, the consultant that we work with, um, an external consultant we work with in our organization is always saying, right, who's missing for, at a seat um, at your table? And when you look around as you're doing um, either new hires or promotion opportunities, how intentional are you being about looking to that Black woman and trying to understand, hey, what's next for you? Um, and if she is talented in one area, what can we be doing to give her more visibility? Are there certain projects we can be putting her on so that, because there were some statistics that show that in organizations, white males are more likely to have a mentor 
in a lot of companies, whereas a black woman is here, you know, on her own trying to figure it out. So how can we put in that level of support for her to help her ensure success and to achieve her goals? Do we even know what her goals are? Do we even have those type of conversations? Right. And so really trying to do you really know her as a person as comfortable as you may know this white male that you're comfortable going to the golf course? Right. So when are those opportunities that you can interact and engage and really get to know her, who she is, increasing her sense of belonging so she feels a part of this team or organization? And belonging is the key word here, right? Because, I mean, at the end of the day, code switching is a real thing, right? And a lot of us have to behave differently or speak differently in the workplace that we do in our personal life just to feel included. And that can, you know, over time, depending on the individual, take such a toll. Right. Um, and you brought up a good point. Are we even part of the consideration set when they're looking at um, folks to promote or to build um, skill sets in a particular area? I learned quickly that you can burn the midnight oil and you're still sort of overlooked. So um, some really great points. Um, let's talk about measurement, which is something you talked about um, earlier. So. We're in this era where companies are paying more attention to diversity, equity, and inclusion. They're um, actively taking steps towards addressing this issue, but some would argue that it's a difficult metric to track. So can inclusivity be measured in your mind? And if so, um, if you just look at your company and sort of the framework that you're building, um, how are you planning to measure that? So we have a couple of ideas around that. We have um, our great place. We are a great place to work certified. And we look at our results around fairness and what are the people saying? Another thing is when you mention, I want to go back a little bit when you mentioned code switching, right? There's also masking and masking is, you know, a lot of us put on a mask when we show up to work. So we don't really show up as our true authentic selves, right? Because there's this fear of, I'm going to only show them what I know they're comfortable, what they would like to see, what's palatable for them, right? And when you don't come to work as your whole self, you truly don't show up as your whole self, right? So the amount of innovation and thoughts that you may bring, new ideas, that creativity, feeling in such a comfortable space where you can really shine, you're not going to show up that way, right? Because you're masking. And so if we are able to give people a safe space where they know they can come to work as their whole authentic self, I, you're, you're going to see that increase in productivity and, and, and innovative thinking and new ideas and you know, um, results in, in process, you know, in um, projects. And I really think we're going to see numbers increase. Also, there has to be that level of trust, right? So we did focus groups. We needed to take a temperature of where are we at as a company? How are people feeling? And so I, uh, myself, and I had a team with me and we went to six of our different sites around the country and we had those honest conversations around what has your level of engagement been here in the organization? Do you feel you've had opportunities? Do you feel you've had um, limit, you know, have you been limited in any way? And getting people comfortable to feel like they can really answer 
and not have any backlash or, you know, ramifications for being honest. I wanted to make sure people were comfortable giving the real. And so our owner was on each call for the first 15 minutes and he was letting them know this is his ask. I want to hear the good, the bad and the ugly. And once he did that, you could see people knowing like, okay, he really wants to know the real. And we got a good temperature of where we're at. And we got to keep doing these pulse surveys, checking in. How are you feeling? Also getting their ideas, getting their input. What, what are we doing that we can be doing differently to be better, right? How can we, what, what's blocking you? What's hindering you? You know, what are some programs and initiatives, right? So getting the feedback and input of based on what people's experience has been and what they feel they could, they need, I definitely think we're going to see the difference. And for us, it's not numbers. It's not numbers. It's, it's really people feeling a sense of belonging and we're going to see those results. We are going to see more underrepresented women in some of the more leadership roles and higher positions. That's going to happen because as that awareness builds in the organization and we have those promotion opportunities, people who weren't visible for before will be visible. And that's where that change is going to happen because we can go out and just hire a bunch of people from underrepresented groups, but will they stay? And that's, that's a, a good point, right? It's um, getting them in and then how do you retain them? Uh, because there are people that just uh, get, I would say, mentally and emotionally burnt out and, you know, uh, go open up a yoga studio or something. I mean, I've, I've come across people on my um, travel for work and the stories they, they tell, it's, it's very interesting. So brings it to my next question. What, what professional advice would you give your younger self? Oh, I would have gave myself a lot more grace. And I don't know if that's just a cultural thing, right? Being Caribbean, right? You're always expected, uh, of course, to do your best, show up, you know, 125%. But I do think I was hard on myself when I didn't hit certain goals um, and giving myself more grace and just patience on it may not be happening at the speed I want, um, but it's happening in the timing that it's supposed to happen. Because I don't, when I look at my 20 years here in the company, if I hadn't gone through a lot of the things I went through in this organization, I don't know, one, if I would have the resilience, the thick skin, and now the passion I have, because I, I get it. I, I know it. I understand it. I know what it feels like. And I and I can I'm aware of it. I can smell I could spot it and I could I could smell BS. I could sniff it out like I'm like, no, that's not, you know. So those experiences really that's part of who I am. And I, I do know it really helps me now um, in this role I'm in. What advice would you give other Afro-Caribbean women who want to get into tech? I think in tech and any industry is I wouldn't let anyone hold you back. I do remember a few incidents where I allowed people, their doubt of my abilities or capabilities or being able to handle something or a project, I would allow that doubt, their doubt, right? 
they're projecting it on me and I would like actually absorb it and let it creep in, which would create self-doubt in myself and hesitation and reluctance to raise my hand for certain situations. And so when you're entering that space, if you are the only one in the room or you're the only one in that meeting is standing firm and knowing who you are and having that confidence that, you know, if they're trying to talk you out of it or create that self-doubt, that's because they're insecure and they're, they're seeing your potential and that's creating fear for them. That's wonderful advice. Um, and before we close, I wanted to um, ask a question, just kind of pulling from your Trini heritage. Uh-huh. Um, so if you had to choose between two things, which one would be a must-have? Curry goat, roti, or dalbri? Oh, roti. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Every day. Yes. Stacey, <laughs> thanks so much for taking the time to share your story. Um, to our Unstoppable Yes You Tribe, thank you for your time. I hope you found this information valuable and insightful. I know I did. Um, If you're new to the Unstoppable Yes You podcast, don't forget to subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Red Circles to get new episodes as they drop each week. Lastly, visit unstoppableyesyou.com for more content, including profile articles on Caribbean achievements and excellence.